Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers. That lingering central fleas main and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Well, after the speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, promised to speak to the police about allegations of extensive drug use in Parliament, call it good or bad timing, but the government has unveiled its plan to crack down on drug dealing. The government's pledging £300 million to overhaul its drugs policy and to take down 2,000 county line suppliers. The policing minister, Kit Malthouse, says that he's also determined to target so-called lifestyle or middle-class users. Just in the last two years, we've rescued about 4,000 young people who've been dragged into the drugs trade as part of county lines. And so the idea that that kind of casual usage on a Saturday night is somehow a victimless crime is ridiculous. So the government says that this 10-year plan will see the largest ever single increase in investment in treatment and recovery. And as we continue to try and understand the impact of the Omicron COVID variant, one of the creators of the Oxford and AstraZeneca vaccine is warning the UK should remain cautious until we know more. Professor Sarah Gilbert also said that future pandemics could pose an even bigger risk than the coronavirus. This morning, Boris Johnson said the government is still waiting for guidance on Omicron ahead of a review of pandemic rules in mid-December. But ministers don't yet see a need to change course. Well, in Wales, the seven-day average of coronavirus cases continues to rise with one confirmed Omicron infection as of Sunday. Joining us now is Andrew R.T. Davis, who is the leader of the Welsh Conservatives and member of the Welsh Parliament for South Wales Central. Andrew, welcome back to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Caroline, and thank you for inviting me back. Well, the Welsh Health Minister says that the country, the nation, is not ruling out new restrictions there. What is Wales's position now ahead of Christmas? Will there be a divergence? Well, we know that this is the three-week review for us here in Wales, and there's been an allu- alluded to by the First Minister that there could well be an extension of the COVID pass that we have in Wales to hospitality, something which we disagree with as Welsh Conservatives, uh, because at the moment he's unable to offer any evidence to show that it's had a meaningful impact in the limited circumstances it's been deployed at the moment. So certainly by Friday we will know roughly what the ground rules will be for Christmas here in Wales. Uh, We all want to keep everyone safe and we all want to be practical about what we need to do to keep people safe. Um, But ultimately, we've also got to start to learn to live with the COVID virus because obviously we've been having it around now for nearly two years. As leader of the Welsh Conservatives, what's your prescription for keeping the country safe as we as we move into this Christmas period? And, and, and crucially, as we move into January, when there are concerns about Omicron be, being much more widespread? 
Well, it's been led by the science and every decision that you take. Uh, it's making sure that those strong public health messages are continued to be broadcast and taken in by the public at large and that you take the public with you. And I think that's really important. Um, as I said, we're not sold on what the COVID passed is or is not achieving because that science hasn't been put forward by the First Minister. And we do know that he has alluded to the fact that there may be an extension towards the end of the week uh, into hospitality and the tourism sector. Uh, so we await that announcement. Uh, but what we do know is that the NHS is under huge pressure here in Wales. Uh, the largest day in EU unit uh, in Cardiff University Hospital um, tried to put a plea out over the weekend that people don't attend that hospital A&E department unless life-threatening conditions prevailed. Uh, because there was a nine-hour wait there. So we've all got to play our part. It's one thing politicians saying something at the lectern of a press conference, but it's for society as a whole, obviously, to buy into the roles that they can buy into and by getting mm. vaccinated and taking up the booster vaccine. Yeah, but that's surely not enough. You, you don't need to look very far to find uh, scientists who are saying that there needs to be much more caution around the Omicron variant. That yes, even if it is perhaps has milder symptoms, we still don't know that for a fact. But even if it does, if it's much more transmissible and it gets around to everybody, that there's a huge risk. I mean, um, Sarah Gilbert, for one, is is a key voice urging much more caution. Well, and I respect those voices as well, but equally there are other scientists that are saying that we shouldn't be too alarmed by, obviously, the, the, the new variant that is coming forward because as a virus there will be various variants coming forward right the way through now there will because of the covid virus is circulating across the globe i'm not discounting any of those voices and i think that's why the prime minister has been sensible in the actions he's taken by buying the time so that we can collate the evidence and that's what we need to do collate the evidence rather than just look at individual opinions that have been expressed on both sides of the argument um, but what we do know is that you know people do want to try and get on with their lives and try and start to learn to live with the covid virus and that's by everyone playing their part and doing their bit, by going yeah. to get vaccinated, by signing up to the booster campaign, and by adhering to those strong public health messages that have been Andrew, with us since the start. Andrew, you're making a false equivalence, though, surely, by saying that the arguments on both sides are the same, that they're not. And also things like the, the defence around Boris Johnson, you know, taking these steps. England has not had, England has left it up to individuals, has not had the mandate for wearing masks and has not taken precautions. And some people are concerned about that. Well, and of course, Wales has had face mask coverings um, right the way through the summer and obviously into the autumn and to up to this day as a Scotland. Uh, but we've seen higher instances of infection rates. So it's a debatable point. I wear a face mask because I think that's a sensible thing to do, to be honest, if you're in close proximity to other people. So I'm not someone who says that you shouldn't wear a face mask. But, uh, you know, I hear this argument from England that the government in Westminster has not mandated face masks earlier. But when you look at the, country, the other countries of the United Kingdom that have had face masks, wearing uh, as a compunction on, on their citizens, uh, the infection data doesn't support that. And so, as I said, I firmly fall on the side of each and every one of us playing our part, subscribing to those strong public health messages and allowing the data and the science behind the new variant to come forward. It's only been public knowledge for about 10 days now it has. Mm, uh, yeah. Scientists and researchers are working night and day to collate that information and as I said, I think it's sensible what the actions the Prime Minister has done in buying these three weeks before Christmas to be before making more firmer decisions closer to Christmas. 
And just one more quick one on this. It is less than three weeks until Christmas. What's your view on Christmas parties and gatherings? Should people just be carrying on as usual? Well, I think, this, again, going back to my key point, but as long as people are sensible and they adhere to the public health messaging, I think you can enjoy Christmas and you can have those parties. But what you can't have is obviously where we used to be back in 2019 and prior to that, um, where there was a total no, no understanding of the spread of virus of the virus that we now learn that, that we now know we got to learn to live with. Um, and if we're sensible, if we're cautious, we can have a Christmas that we can all enjoy, and we can mm. have those parties. And I think it's sensible that people take lateral flow tests before they go to a party or go to a gathering or just go around to someone else's house to give that assurance of peace of mind to people. Yeah. Okay. Another issue then in Wales, a Labour's deal with Plaid Cymru in the Senate. Is Plaid essentially in government? Uh, Is this actually a coalition deal? They say it is not, but you're unhappy with it. Well, it very much is a coalition deal, as was pointed out by Labour backbenchers in the Welsh Parliament, because it has the trappings of government. I mean, there will be Plaid special advisers. There will be lead members, I think is the the term that they use for Plaid members, to have access to the civil service and be supported by the civil service. There will be joint chairs of committees to oversee the agreement. You know, it looks like, it smells like a coalition, and if that is the case, then it definitely is a coalition. But I think what's more important is what isn't in that coalition deal that has been announced. There's no clean air bill coming forward. There's no public inquiry into the COVID crisis here in Wales. There's nothing in the deal talking about how to deal with waiting lists on our Welsh NHS, where one in five people, the worst in any part of the United mainland, United Kingdom, of the population on a waiting list. And if you take the adult population, it's one in four adults on a waiting list. I mean, that is going to literally consume the government going forward for the next four years, five years of the current Welsh parliamentary mandate. Plenty of people and politicians talk about uh, the need for political parties to work together. Shouldn't you welcome this as uh, two political parties working together in in Wales' national interest? Well, there is other bits in there that we could welcome. I mean, obviously, the form of the school term times, I think, is something we could welcome. Looking at the way social care operates in Wales, the initiatives around climate change, childcare... The Building Safety Fund, which we've been calling for for many, many months now, um, which is which is lagging other parts of the United Kingdom in the compensation that's going to be made available to people affected by the cladding scandal, uh, is only mentioned briefly in the document itself. But I do welcome that brief mention, but I hope the government will now get on and deliver that compensation to householders. So there are parts of the deal we can welcome, but I go back yeah. to the point that we don't welcome a deal that the leader of Plaid Cymru has said is a down payment on independence uh, because the people of Wales only in May of this year you know, voted in overwhelming numbers for unionist parties. OK, um, but perhaps people in Wales will want to know more then about the Prime Minister underlining the commitment to better transport connections between Wales and the rest of the UK but not promising any money in the union connectivity review that was published earlier in November, briefly. Well, that's for all of us to put our shoulder to the wheel and bring those resources into Wales. Let's not forget with the city deals that have been brought forward by the Conservatives in Westminster, along with the Welsh Government and along with local authorities. We're seeing the building out now of the South Wales Metro, £750 million worth of investment uh, to create a metro system here in South Wales. Uh, So the city deals are bringing money into Wales uh, Mm. to improve connectivity and connections. The electrification only a couple of years ago was finished between Cardiff and Paddington 
Paddington, uh, which has transformed the journey times from Cardiff to Paddington and also from Swansea to Paddington because those trains carry on from their bimodal trains uh, to Swansea. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. The UK's biggest business lobby has cut its growth forecast for this year and next, warning that rising costs and shortages are hampering the nation's recovery. The Confederation of British Industry now expects an expansion of 6.9% this year, down from its previous forecast of 8.2%. The CBI blames a weaker economic performance in recent months, with headwinds caused by inflation and supply chain issues. Well, another storm could delay efforts to reconnect power to thousands of people who have now been cut off for some 10 days. Storm Barra will hit tomorrow, while the west of Ireland will receive the worst of it. There is a yellow uh, wind weather warning in place across England, Wales and Northern Ireland. More than 3,000 homes are still without heating and hot water after Storm Arwen. Mm, Warehouse workers and drivers employed by Tesco will stage a series of strikes in a dispute over pay. The Unite Union says that more than a 1,000 workers at distribution centres across the UK will take part in the run-up to Christmas. The supermarket says it has contingency plans in place to help mitigate the impact of the strikes. Well, pay, that's a key issue for voters, especially given that rising energy bills, fuel and food prices have been well flagged as major problems for many families, especially as the school holidays and Christmas approaches. Food bank use is still well above what it was before the coronavirus pandemic, according to the latest report from the Trussell Trust. Well, the organisation says it handed out more than 930,000 food parcels over the six months ended October 2021, with more than a third of which were going to children. The charity says it distributed fewer parcels than it did during the same period last year when the network saw an unprecedented spike in need as a result of the economic pressure from the pandemic. Well, let's discuss this now with the chief executive of the Trussell Trust, Emma Reavy. Emma, thanks so much for joining us on the programme today. How many families do you expect to need support over the Christmas period? Thanks for having me. And uh, as you say, Ewan, we've seen unprecedented levels of demand through the pandemic. And in the last six months, food banks in our network have been providing more than 5,100 food parcels a day to people in crisis. But as we come into winter, we know that that's likely, uh, there's likely to be increased in demand. And we anticipate in December, our food banks will be distributing 7,000 food parcels every day, uh, which is just not right. Why have things become so bad for families? And I also pick up on on the fact that I I read so much more now about so many children in need. Mm. Uh, Well, uh, exactly. We've seen uh, the rate of increase amongst children has been double that that amongst adults in our food bank. So it's really alarming that families with children do appear to be being hit the hardest. And as we come into winter, where we've got the increased costs of fuel and and food prices, but we've also seen the largest cut in working age benefits since the Second World War. And the loss of that £20 upset that we had to universal credit is going to be affecting many, many families across the country this winter. 
Yeah, tell us more about that, actually, because that's only been in for a few weeks now. The government has, of course, partially uh, reversed that, particularly for uh, people who are working a number of hours uh, on universal mm. credit. But still, for quite a lot of people, that £20 will make quite a big difference. What effect are you, are you seeing from that? So, anecdotally, from our banks, they've, seen, they've, they've told us that immediately they've started to increase in numbers through October and into November. But we also know from research we did um, early in the year about what the loss of that £20 would mean for families, um, that that they said it would be the difference between being able to afford to put fuel in their car to travel to work. It would mean they would have to skip meals in order to provide food for their families. So we anticipate that this is what will drive the increased demand at food banks this winter. Having said that, the government should get some credit, surely, for the furlough scheme. That was an enormous help. It was a complete innovation, really, wasn't it? And um, mm. saved so many families and, and, and working people from things just being so much worse. Uh, absolutely. There's no question that the furlough scheme prevented numbers of the banks being much, much higher. And I think absolutely the government should be given credit for that. Um, But what it also showed us is the the scale of intervention the government can make to hold people when there's a possibility they can't work, they're too unwell to work, um, or or the jobs aren't available for people. And so we need to have that kind of thinking at UK government level now to see how do we protect anyone from having to rely on emergency food to get by. Some people can't work. Um, Some people with caring responsibilities or with disabilities find themselves struggling to access the workplace or being able to work at all. How do we ensure that nobody is facing destitution this winter and that they have enough money to be able to pay for the essentials, such as food and heating? Is the network of food banks still expanding? It's it's a relatively new concept, isn't it? When when I was growing up, we used to get food parcels from charities occasionally, but you couldn't go to a food bank and 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 collect food in the way that you can now. Mm. Are you still opening new outlets around around the country? So it's definitely not about an increase in the number of food banks that is driving the increase in numbers that we're seeing. Our our network has been pretty stable in size over the last five years. So it's not so much about a a growing footprint, but a deepening footprint and more people finding themselves needing to to rely on the services of the banks. But the the point you make, Yona, is really well made. Ten years ago, food banks in our network distributed 60,000 food parcels. Last year, we distributed um, 2.3 million emergency food parcels. It's a, it's, a, it's a new thing. It's a new phenomenon that people are finding themselves having to rely on emergency food. But certainly over the last five years where we've seen a 74% increase in demand, that's not because we've been opening new food banks. That's because demand has becoming um, much deeper in the areas where our food banks are located. And how is the charitable sector faring right now? Because that was the other concern during the pandemic, is mm-hmm. that some of the um, groups within society that were supporting people in need actually found that they were unable to provide those services during the various lockdowns and pandemic restrictions, and also that funding to charitable organisations um, was less than it had been previously. So on the financial mm-hmm. front, in terms of the grants and, and support that you're able mm-hmm. to get to provide this, where are you at this year? Um, so I, I have to say I, I've been blown away by the generosity of the British public um, over the time of the pandemic. At the time, and also the fortitude of volunteers within our network and across the third sector. At the times when many of us were having to think about how do we 
stay indoors and how do we shut down? And um, these volunteers were stepping out into situations where they there were, were higher risks for them to continue providing emergency food, continue providing vital frontline services. Uh, and they were supported by the Great British Public. So even though it was harder to make food donations in supermarkets, um, people find ways through. People find ways of getting food and donations to us. So it, it was extraordinary the way people thought about their neighbours, considered their communities and allowed us to keep functioning through unprecedented demand. We still managed to have enough food um, to distribute. Uh, and I think that's incredibly encouraging and a testament to the fact that nobody thinks it's right that anyone can't afford food and they're willing to take whatever actions necessary to ensure that their neighbours can access emergency food. So um, I think even though it has been a very difficult time for frontline provision, uh, and for the third sector as a whole, uh, my, my general experience of this last um, two years has been to be incredibly encouraged by the generosity of the British public. Um, UK household incomes next year, according to the Ros- Resolution Foundation, rather, um, mm. are expected to drop by about a thousand pounds. Do you think that things are going to get worse next year? I mean, I I talked about rising food prices, rising fuel prices. You are seeing that impact already. Are you concerned about next year actually being the real hit, the real hangover from the pandemic, in fact? That that, that is our concern at the moment, unless something changes, unless we can get um, more money into people's pockets. That's that's our sense of exactly what next year will be like. and with our food banks having been through such challenging periods, people being very tired now, and families' resources having been reduced, or any savings we had, people have used, any um, uh, any uh, stores that people had in place have been diminished as they're going into this year. And I think that's why we were so concerned about the cuts to universal credit. This was not the right time to cut social security for families on the lowest incomes because we know next year is going to be very difficult and this winter in particular is going to be very challenging for so many people. So, yes, in summary, we're, we're very concerned we're going to see significant increases in the numbers of people having to come to the bank. Are you happy with the case that the opposition has, has made on this? Um, do you think that, that Keir Starmer has talked enough about, about, about poverty or do you think that the party is, is trying to pivot away from that kind of discussion? Um, I think it's really important that um, parties on both sides of the aisle need to be talking about this much more seriously. We we know the scale of intervention that's necessary. Uh, we need governments at all levels and all four nations to be taking seriously um, the responsibility to protect people from destitution. We've seen significant increases in the number of people facing destitution, and we know there's a close link between destitution and, and food bank use. And so it's far too important for it to be a party political issue. It has to be about parties working together across the aisles to take seriously the fact that we can end destitution in our country. We need to ensure that people have a minimum level of money that keeps them from having to come to a food bank or rely on emergency food to get by. Um, and so it's really important that all parties be putting in place a plan to tackle this and to work together. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.